That looks kind of foreboding, doesn't it? <laughs> Good morning. Hope you're doing well today. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. My name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carnegie Free. It's great to be with you today. Uh, we're starting a new series, as Kevin noted, in The Seven Deadly Sins. One is greater than seven. But before we get into that, I want to let you know two other quick events, two other quick announcements related to events. Sorry, this is kind of announcement morning. But um, it, I, I'm so excited about these next two events that are coming for our church. And so I want to speak to them for just a moment because I think they're powerful and a great opportunity for all of us. The first one is, of course, our Hunger to Hope mobile feed pack with Feed My Starving Children. And every once in a while as a church, we do something that's all hands on deck. You know what I'm saying? Where we all say, oh yeah, we're in this together. And this is one of those opportunities for, for us all to serve together as we all care about the poor. We're concerned about poverty around the world. We're concerned about the reality of famine in some areas and um, some areas of the world where there's uh, struggling after war. And so we're partnering with an organization called Feed My Starving Children to uh, put together 300,000 meals over the course of two days. And we're raising $66,000 to do it. And we have a number of sign-up times for April 22nd and 23rd. I think six different slots that you can sign up for, for your family, your life group, your adult education class, whatever it may be. But you might look for a couple of those outside this garage door at the journey wall right after today's service as we seek to all come together and build this together. And it's a great way for, for us to, to serve those who are really in need and to do kind of an all-hands-on-deck church service opportunity. I've been involved with something like this with a different organization back in Colorado for a number of years. And it's a, a great, great family service if you've not yet been a part of it. My little kids who are four and eight have always loved doing this. So I encourage you to sign up for those. And if you'd like to help out with logistics, we have a great... Uh, team of people that are working on those, and you can certainly help out in those areas also. So donations and sign up through these doors at the Journey Wall right after service. And then also on April 11th, we have a new ministry that's starting here through our men's ministry leadership team and Pastor Brian Klein called Men in Action. And we all know that the Bible speaks repeatedly to the call to go out of our way to love those who are uh, fatherless love those who are widows or widowers, and so uh, we're taking that injunction and taking it seriously. And one of the things though, that we're going to do here, starting on April 11th, is bringing a gentleman named Herb Reese, who's going to lead a training through his organization called New Commandment Men's Ministries, that will help the men in the church organize in teams to serve widows and widowers, single parents, and others in distress within our church body. Isn't that great? We're going to do that on a monthly basis. The teams of four to six men would be placed together in a single team with a single care receiver and use their skills to help out around the house or help out with the car or the computer or whatever it might be. Again, I was involved with this ministry for about 10 years, and it was so powerful to see the way uh, the men collectively came together for the church and said, if you're a single parent, if you're a widow, you're a widower, we are not going to let you go it alone. We're not going to allow that in here. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, this would be a good time to clap. <laughs> That's the kind of church that we want to be, that we come around each other in time of need, and particularly for widows and orphans and others in distress. And so, uh, guys, if you, uh, even if you're not part of Forge, we'd welcome you to be a part of this. This is for all men in the church over 18, and we'll have a training on uh, April 11th for this. 
and we just love to know if you're planning on coming so we can provide enough food for you. But it's a very, very enjoyable, gratifying ministry to be a part of. All right, let's, uh, let's pray, and we will enter into our new sermon series and ask God to guide us this morning. Father in heaven, we're grateful for all the wonderful things that are happening in this church, for, for life change, for opportunity to see people be baptized here in a couple of weeks, for all the newcomers that are here today. We're so grateful, Lord, for uh, the work you're doing through our men's ministry's leadership team to develop this great ministry, Men in Action. And, and we're thankful, Lord, for the opportunity to all come together and help out with the mobile pack for Hunger to Hope. And, and we pray, Lord, that it be a blessing to those who are in need. And now, Father, as we enter into the scriptures and we enter into this new sermon series, One is Greater Than Seven, we, we ask that you would teach us that you would indeed be far greater than all of our temptations and struggles. You would lead us today, and you would give us a vision of the kind of life that you really want for us. I pray now, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Quite possibly, the greatest human temptation is to settle for too little. Quite possibly, the greatest human temptation is to settle for less than what God really wants for us, and even to settle for a whole lot less than what we really want for our own lives. I recently heard a story about a man who was perpetually given in to his area of temptation, which was lust. It could have been any area of temptation. It could have been anger or pride or greed or whatever, but his was lust. And he was perpetually giving in to lust and looking at things that he then regretted looking at. And so he was going to a counselor for this addiction that he had fallen into, and he continued to explain to the counselor week after week the same basic pattern of not wanting to do this, but then doing it. Not wanting to look at this, but then looking and feeling awful and feeling guilty and going down this spiral and feeling hopeless. And one day the counselor just turned and said to him, listen, if that's what you really want, then go ahead and look. And the patient thinks to himself, who is this guy? Stinking head shrinker? Some kind of reverse psychology going on here? I... He starts to boil inside and he says to the counselor, well, what do you mean go ahead and look? That's the last thing I want to do. I don't want to look. And the counselor said, exactly. That's exactly right. You don't want to look. But we are all tempted to settle for far too little. This is the reality that we all face, again, in one way or another. Part of the human temptation is to settle for less than what we really want, settle for less than what God really wants for our lives. And that happens for us across the board, be it in our relationships, in our physical health, or our emotional health, our spiritual health, Certainly in our character development, we are tempted to settle for less than God's best, which leads us inevitably into this battle, which is sometimes a dependency 
and sometimes a downright addiction, as this gentleman I just referred to was struggling with, a downright addiction into this spiral of lust or greed or anger or pride or envy or sloth or gluttony. And one way or another, all of our struggles find their root in at least one of those seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins, as they're classically called, have some of their basis in the book of Proverbs and in the book of 1 John chapter 2, where they are distilled down even more to just three deadly sins. But they're also spoken of and written of frequently in classical literature and by the ancient church fathers who address them regularly in ancient commentaries. And they're dealt with by Hollywood, of course, in numerous movies. And Dante dealt with them as well as much other classical literature because many people have understood across the centuries that every character's struggle in one way or another is rooted in one of those seven. And they stand between us and the good life in the kingdom of God, which God would invite us to experience more and more of today. How many know that good life in the kingdom of God is not reserved for us only when we die? Do you know that good life in the kingdom of God is intended for us starting today? And so we just acknowledge that we have these challenges that get in the way of the good life. But God invites us to something. He offers something for us that is way better than the very best sins. Okay, so we want to go after that in the course of these next eight or nine or ten weeks as we look at the seven deadly sins. So let me give a kind of overarching verse that will help frame the way that we will talk about this subject. And frankly, any time that we talk about our struggle, our temptations, this is kind of a, a verse that can help frame the way we talk about them, such that we talk about them the right way rather than in a way that just produces more guilt for people. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. You'll see it up on the screen, and I would invite you to read it out loud with me right now. Would you do that? Let's read this out loud together. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What a great word that is for us. That whatever temptation you would identify as yours today, or whatever two or three areas of struggle you would identify as yours today, you can know that it is not uncommon. In other words, I could promise you that around this room there are dozens of other people that are struggling with that very same temptation. In fact, I might even go so far as to say there are probably hundreds of other people in this room struggling with that same area of temptation because whatever the area, it is not uncommon to men and women to struggle with that area. And we just want to start by saying that. But we also say God is faithful. That when we are tempted, he will provide a way out. This, this way of escape, Paul says here. Kind of an escape door that you're in the middle of a temptation. You see this escape door. Oh, I can get out through that such that I would not fall into this area of temptation. 
Now, the church has frequently failed in this over the years. Here's how it typically goes down. Frequently in the church, someone uh, engages in some behavior that they regret. They fall into some guilt around that. And then maybe they ask for help and they go to someone and they admit what they've done. And that other person goes, you did what? Huh? Oh, I can't believe you did that. To which you say, well, I'm never going to share that with anyone again. But what if instead in the church, when someone admitted an area of struggle, we said, oh, you too? Oh, you struggle in that area as well? Or I might not struggle in that specific area, but I struggle in another one that is quite similar to it. But you know, the Bible tells us that God is faithful and that he will provide a way out Then we are under the weight of temptation. So perhaps we could engage this together and we could begin to find some victory together in the midst of our areas of struggle because I can relate, so join the crowd. What if we do that? You see, sometimes we just need to go to church so we can learn I'm not the only one. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm not the only one that struggles in this area. Let's go find that way of escape together. Now, Paul speaks about this in a profound way over in Romans chapter 7. Would you turn there with me? Romans chapter 7 is over in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from the book of Acts. And then Paul's first letter is Romans. And this is the most honest description of the human struggle that I have ever read. No matter the century, no matter the generation, it's kind of a complex description, and we're going to read a long passage from Romans 7, 14 to 25. But this is Paul, who is every bit God's man. And he is planting churches throughout the Mediterranean world, and he's bold as a lion, and yet he admits here, in the context of Romans 7, his areas of struggle, that he doesn't do the things that he wishes he would do. Starting at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God. I delight in the word of God, he is saying, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members." Oh, wretched man that I am, he says. <laughs> Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What a passage. 
Now, there's a lot of, I do what I do not want to do, I don't do what I do do, and you can kind of get lost in that, can't you? But, but, but hopefully you get the, the basic idea. Do, I mean, do you get what he's saying here? The, the basic idea that I don't do the things that I want to do, and then I do these things that I wish I, I didn't want to do, and, and, and what's going on with me inside of this chest cavity, would you agree? I see a few heads nodding. This would be a time to nod your head that you agree. If you don't agree with the Apostle Paul here, you either don't know yourself or you're lying. If we're honest, all of us have been here. That in our renewed minds, that as we've given our lives to Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, then the Word of God becomes nourishment to your soul. It becomes like honey to your lips. And yet at the same time, there's this war going on within us against the old sinful nature that yet still remains. So we have this battle, and our battle is against the old nature, which sometimes feels futile. Doesn't it? Sometimes if we're honest, in an area of character struggle, an area of temptation, the battle against the old nature can start to feel really futile. You see, it's like we have these two different natures waging war inside of our one chest cavity. You have a new nature that if you've given yourself to Christ, with that new nature, the most fundamental thing about you now is that you belong to Christ. You're adopted by Christ. You've been regenerated by Christ. You have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And no one can ever take that away from you. And that's fundamentally who you are. But yet at the same time, there is also this battle going on a war, if you will, with the old nature that never quite leaves our system. And depending on how old we were when we became Christians, or depending on how much we indulged in the sinful nature after we were Christians, that old nature gets lots of practice as well. And so Paul puts it this way, I do not understand my own actions. Verse 15, for I do not do what I want to do, and I do the very thing that I hate. <laughs> He's speaking of these two overarching categories of sin that we all commit sins of omission, that we fail to do the things that we should do, and sins of commission, that we do things that we wish we wouldn't do. And, uh, you know, if you're new to Christianity, you're new to the church, you, you might be saying right now, uh, here it is, Christians are always telling us about what we shouldn't be doing. They're always telling us, don't do this, don't do that. But here's the fundamental thing. It's do this. Do love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It begins with thou shalt. Thou shalt love God with all you got. And thou shalt love others as yourself and go out of your way to, to bless your wife. Go out of your way to bless your husband. Go out of your way to bless your neighbor. Go out of your way to help the poor care for those, to live generous lives. And then, as you do those things, so also you refrain from other activities. And the truth is, we are both at the same time saints of God, and yet with that old nature, sinners who are going to struggle, such that we do that which we do not want to do, and we find ourselves saying, I can't believe I lost my cool with my wife again. I can't believe I was so impatient with my kids yet again. 
I can't believe that we gossiped with our coworkers again over lunch. Can't believe that I was so greedy looking out only for my own good as opposed to thinking about how I could use my money for God's kingdom purposes again. Can't believe I looked at that again. And on and on it could go, however you would fill in the blank. As I was processing through my own areas of struggle this past week, and I've already shared this in the short time though that I've been here, I can struggle when I get on the basketball court. And so I was thinking about this last week, how for many years, not here in Nebraska, but in my old home in Colorado, I'd go down the street to the gym right around the corner at my house, by my house in Lafayette, Colorado, and on Friday afternoons, I'd get a couple hours of basketball in. And I knew come Friday afternoon that there might be one specific guy at the gym. And that one specific guy at the gym had this keen ability to light the fuse under every other guy in the gym, including yours truly. And so I get to the gym and I say, well, I might meet so-and-so at the gym today, and therefore I got my Bible verses at the ready. They're written on my wrist. And I am prayed up today, God, and I've been meditating with you today, God, thinking about the power of the scriptures that when he starts yapping, I'm going to say really, really nice things to him. And there's gentle, tranquilo Adrian in the gym, just enjoying himself. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. And then all of a sudden, this guy starts to guard me. And he starts yapping in my ear after he makes a shot. And then yapping in my ear after I miss a shot. And gentle, tranquilo Adrian is nowhere to be found. <laughs> Hyper-competitive, prideful, angry Adrian is right there back on the court after I was in the Spirit of God just 15 minutes before. What is going on, wretched man that I am? And then I say and think and unfortunately sometimes have said things that I hate. What is it for you? For me, it's that battle in that area of life with a hyper-competitive spirit that can lead to anger or pride but I encourage you to ask this question, what is it for you? My battle today is for the kingdom of God and it is against you fill in your blank. For me, I can say, I just shared, it's against this pride in that particular setting or against anger in that particular setting. But write it down for you. What is the spe specific area of struggle for you right now that you would say, I'm battling for the kingdom of God, that your kingdom come, that your kingdom would come into my life, into this world that I'm living in today, and therefore I would be uh, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit wherever I go as opposed to this greed or this envy or this pride or this gluttony or whatever it might be because these areas of struggle, they're not just for your wife. They're not just for your husband. They're not just for mom and dad or son or daughter or neighbor or coworker or addict that you might be thinking of right now. They are for every person in here. They are for young or old in so many different permutations. The most godly person you can think of today. So also they struggle in one of these areas. And perhaps the critic then responds, see, you, you Christians are no different than anyone else. 
But, but here's the difference. Here's the difference. I readily admit that I fall into sin. I readily admit that on occasion I do what I hate. But here's the difference. Whereas a non-Christian might fall into sin and say, what's the big deal? A Christian falls into sin and he chooses God's side in the battle against sin. A non-Christian might fall into sin and say, oh, I can rationalize that behavior. But any of us who call ourselves today followers of Christ, we say, I choose God's side in the battle and I hate my sin. It's not that I don't sin, it's that I hate when I do sin. And so I will turn away from it, turn toward God, and ask his help to resist. Because if I don't, I am capitulating to that old nature. You see, the heart of all sin, you'll see on your outline, the heart of all sin is unbelief. It is choosing my autonomy over God's will for me. Please hear me clearly. Every single time that we engage in sin, we are making the choice that I want my will as opposed to wanting God's will. And sometimes we do that and it's egregious, and other times we do it and it's just part of our patterned nature. But either way, we need to work against that so that we move more and more toward God's nature and battle. Throughout the believer's life, we will have this battle. I don't believe we'll ever reach perfection. We will always be battling against that nature. Paul again says here in verses 22 and 23, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I delight in the word of God in my inner being. But I see in my members, in my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind. I delight in what God has said, but part of me still wants those old, dirty clothes and all the things that I used to do in those old, dirty clothes. So, we have a part in this battle, and God has a part in this battle. And I just want to say, say that really clearly. Because I think there are many churches today that say it's all God and we have no part to play, but I believe we have a big part to play in our sanctification process, the process of becoming more like Christ. And also, the even bigger part to play is learning to lean into the Holy Spirit. And so I'll, I'll share with you the part that I play in that example that I just gave. There were times, simply because I was so immature, that I would go to the gym and I would see this gentleman in the gym who I knew would light my fuse quickly. And I can't blame that on him. I need to take responsibility for that. And because I'm immature, I wouldn't go in the gym. I would get on the treadmill instead. Now, I don't want to do that for the whole of my life. I want to become the kind of man who's mature enough that I can go in there and not be phased by him. But I'm not there yet. And so part of engaging the battle is choosing to flee in the other direction. What is it for you that you need to flee in the other direction? Sometimes it's really easy for us to flee temptation. It's the most natural thing for us to do because we know it's terrible for us to engage. But other times it's almost like I just described kind of hand over fist. I want to go in here. I want to play basketball. Nope, go this way. And any number of different ways we could say that about, say that about uh, a number of different behaviors that we could easily engage in. We have to choose to engage the battle. And then we lean into the Holy Spirit on a day in and day out basis. And if we do these two things, if we engage the battle with the Holy Spirit day in and day out, that will steadily produce change. 
we'll be changed by the Spirit of God as we engage with the Spirit of God, as we lean into Him, as we engage in the battle, He will change us and grant us increasing victory over our areas of struggle. I love the way the great Chinese theologian and church planter Watchman Nee put it. He said, we shouldn't expect this will happen. Uh, no, he said, we shouldn't expect this will, uh, this will take too long for it to happen. Probably not more than 30 or 40 or 50 years. It, it won't happen overnight. So we give ourselves grace as we realize that we're going to slowly engage in the battle over time, but God will change us slowly, bit by bit, sometimes 30 or 40 or 50 years in the making. Paul concludes his self-reflection by saying, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, there's hope. God will deliver me from this body of death. He goes on to say, as he's despairing, God will rescue. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because when we are tempted, he will provide a way out of that temptation that we need not indulge in it. You see, if, if, you're, if you're in a temptation, you're not sinning just by virtue of being tempted. Jesus was tempted, but he did not sin, right? So just because you are tempted, that doesn't mean that you're in sin. But when you're in that temptation, we have a choice either to indulge it or to run from it. And it's the indulgence the, that is the sin. And God's promise again in 1 Corinthians 10 is when we are tempted, he will provide an escape route for us to get out of it. And a big, big piece of the way he does that is by giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who knows that Romans 8 comes right after Romans 7? Can I get an amen to that? Right after Romans 7, with all of this despair, you get one of the most beautiful chapters in all the Bible. And I encourage you to read it in full this week. Romans 8 speaks of the great victory that we have by the power of the Holy Spirit. And 19 times in the first 27 verses of Romans 8, Paul speaks of Holy Spirit coming into us and granting us strength in whatever battle that we are facing. The Holy Spirit grants us life and peace. True, abundant, victorious life today and peace even as we engage the battle. Let me share with you just one example here from Romans 8, verse 6. It says, the mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. It's really interesting. In the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, it just says, the mind of sinful man, death. The mind, controlled by the Spirit, the mind of the Spirit, life and peace. It doesn't even say the word control. The mind of sinful man, death. The mind of the Spirit, life and peace. In the present tense, all written in the present tense, not about past, not about future, about now, that in the Spirit of God, there is the opportunity for life and peace. And we've all seen this, haven't we? That there are certain people who give themselves over to pride. Certain people who give themselves over to anger or to greed. And you see that their consciences have been seared by that decision to, to not fight against it. And what you see when you see that person is death. It's frightening. You've been around those people whose consciences have been seared. And it's death. 
it's, it's a scary reality that Paul is warning, against, warning us against here, that if we choose not to engage the battle with the Holy Spirit, the consequence is a seared mind. But the mind that is given over the Spirit is increasing life, an increasing sense of peace. And it's that fruit of the Spirit called love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control and the most beautiful portrait of the human life that has ever been written down there in Galatians 5, that the mind that is given over to the Holy Spirit of God, this is what he does. He, he wells up inside of us and he allows us to increasingly demonstrate those characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. This is the kind of great life that he has for us starting today. Life in the kingdom of God is possible. This past week, we had a pretty emotional one at church, didn't we? It was a tough week in a lot of ways. And it was a celebrative week at the same time. If you were here on Wednesday for either of the two memorial services that took place, you grieved, there was great pain, and there was also this note of celebration in each of those services. And at one of the memorial services for a woman named Jean Porter, we, we learned that this is a woman who personally uh, made each of her grandchildren feel like they were the very most important grandchild to her. And she had this way of moving through her arthritis and scratching each grandchild's back one by one every time they came over. And strangers would come over to the house, mere acquaintances well, would come over to the house, and they would be welcomed into the home as if they were family. And she was described as a woman who knew how to let love go out, and also a woman who knew how to receive love for others. This is a beautiful picture of hope, a beautiful picture of life and of peace. And then we had another memorial service focused on a beautiful woman named Darina. And if you were here for that, you heard this was a woman who chose to get right with people before she died. She chose to forgive, and she was forgiven. And this is a woman who, before she died, uh, maintained this exceeding hope, and she never let an ill word come out of her mouth about anyone. And even in spite of a brain tumor, she maintained this inspiring portrait of hope in the glory of God and the hope of resurrection and the goodness of life to come even as she knew that her, day, her days would be numbered. And, and you're left asking yourself this question as you hear the stories about Jean and Darina. How? 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 And it's because they're filled by the Spirit of God. And in the presence of the Spirit of God is life. And peace. Please hear me. To be in the presence of divine love is the most transforming experience a person can have. As we sit on a day in and day out basis in the presence of divine love, it is that more than anything that is able to transform us. You name your area of character struggle, your temptation, your area of sin, you simply take it to the cross. And Jesus promises that he loves. He took it all the way to the cross. He promises he doesn't leave you alone without witness, but he grants you the gift of the Spirit, and he will help us in the battle as we lean in to him.
Shall we ask for help this morning? Let's go before our God. Lord Jesus, how we thank you that you haven't left us alone. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you took all of our sins, all of our failures, up to a cross on a hillside called Calvary some 2,000 years ago, and you paid for all of them, past, present, and future. And you chose not to leave us there, but you chose also to give us the Holy Spirit by which we have a renewed power to engage the battle and to increasingly find victory in our areas of weakness. And so, Father, as we come to the communion table right now, we ask that you would help us again. We confess that we need your help to engage the battle, that we get worn out and beaten up by the struggle that we all feel. We confess that we fall into sin. We fall into the old nature. And so we ask your forgiveness. And we ask, God, that as you forgive us, you would remind us today that this is a fresh start. That the body and blood of Jesus is a regular reminder for us. This bread, this cup, is a regular reminder that we start afresh with God. That he is not willing to leave us in our sin, but he is desirous to forgive us and to grant us hope and grant us help in our time of need. So Lord Jesus, I pray for all my friends here today. We've written down our areas of struggle. I admit to you my pride. I admit to you my overcompetitive anger that can boil up at times on the basketball court. We admit to you our sins. And as we look to the cross, we ask for your forgiveness. Would you give it to us now, Lord? We'll be sure to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our deacons and our deaconesses will come now and they'll pass the bread through the rows and then we will take together the body of Christ which is given for you.